This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 192 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Today, we'll take a deep dive into Georgia State football's trip to Louisiana on Saturday night as bowl eligibility sits just one tantalizing win away. We've also got more basketball to talk about as the Sunbelt preseason poll and accolades were announced ahead of this week's media days, and we'll tackle part two of our preview of the roster. But first, let's talk about this upcoming Louisiana game, 8 p.m. Saturday night at Cajun Field on ESPNU. The Ragin' Cajuns are 4-2 in 2023, coming in fresh off of their bye week. Before they were idle last Saturday, they were 34-30 comeback victors over Texas State in a game that could prove crucial in the Sunbelt West standings. They're coached in his second season by Michael Desermo, a former quarterback for the school in the late 2000s. He's got an 11-9 record as head coach. Louisiana is one of those schools that Georgia State just can't get the monkey off their back against as the Panthers enter this matchup 0-6 all-time versus the Cajuns. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Louisiana? Should be a fun one. Um, I think the line somewhere like minus three Louisiana right now. It started, I think, at minus two Louisiana. And I think everyone expects there to be a fair amount of points and just kind of fun plays. It's kind of a two quarterbacks that probably whoever has the better quarterbacks is going to win the game. And Darren Granger for Georgia State and Zeon Chris for Louisiana. Um, but as kind of your last point laid out, like in what feels like a year where things are going right for Georgia State, they've got this game and obviously the App State game where they have gone winless in their history against these programs. So I guess there's nothing is guaranteed, but if you're looking for like good signs, this has been a season of good signs so far outside of the Troy game. And maybe this is the year you're able to exercise many demons, at least two of them. Yeah, I think that would be the hope, right? Um, it's It certainly feels like Georgia State is catching Louisiana um, at a great time for Georgia State. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will win. Um, but I think, you know, when you kind of look at how Louisiana has moved the ball so far this year, um, it's something that Georgia State is very familiar with. Um, it's something that Georgia State, you know, it's it, we've talked a lot about how teams like to run the ball. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how Georgia State has been effective with the run this year. But then you look at sort of, OK, Louisiana's moved the ball on the ground super effectively. Georgia State obviously hasn't allowed a ton on the ground so far this year. You kind of play, you put those two forces on opposite sides of each other, you know, unstoppable force um, and immovable objects. So it's definitely going to be a very interesting football game, I think, tactically. Um, Louisiana, I wouldn't say they struggle to move the ball through the air because that's probably a miss characterization um but they certainly like to move it on the ground so much that you look at their uh passing stats and you're like oh you know the, these are not as high as you would think that they would be given some of those offenses that they've had in years past so it's definitely going to be an interesting game for sure yeah and i think to start there with the defense versus the cajuns offense i feel like you know they're they have 224 rushing yards of games considerably i think by like 17 yards the best average in the sun belt a mark that georgia state and sean elliott especially likes to find themselves at and so i guess they're kind of like the king of that mountain so as the defense is looking to even as the max they've given up is 156 this past game against marshall on the ground 
I feel like start the bar at like hold them under 200 rushing yards because I always kind of find it funny when I'm listening to other podcasts previewing a Georgia State game when they are talking about like, yeah, and we got a good rush, rush defense, so we're going to hold the Georgia State team like, you know, 100 yards, 100. And it's kind of like, guys, Saturday is going to come and you're going to look a little bit silly. And so I'm not going to do the same thing here and pretend that just because Georgia State's had a really good rush defense, that it means that they'll really be able to just take that away from Louisiana. I mean, if they do, they're going to win the game running away because Louisiana's really gotten it going offensively with what they can do running the ball. And Zeon Chris, the quarterback who's taken over from the third, the third game on due to injury, is a part of that, which sounds familiar with what we know about Darren Granger as such a focal point in the Georgia State rushing attack. And so I feel like if you're able to hold them under 200 rushing, no matter what else happens, I'd feel pretty good. I feel like that would at least definitely give Georgia State a chance to win this game. And it's from there, like how far you can take it, how much you can limit it. If you can avoid maybe the big explosives in the run game, because we know just like Georgia State, they're going to go to it early and they're going to go to it often. And I mean, to be clear, the two teams that have held Louisiana under uh, 200 rushing yards this year are Minnesota and Old Dominion. Both are in the 60s in rushing defense allowed in the year. Um and, you know, just for comparison's sake, Georgia State is at 27. Um, but I kind of did some digging on Minnesota specifically. And, like, there's... Sorry. Sorry you dug into this Minnesota team that just seems pretty, unfortunately, mid. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, for Minnesota this year, they have unfortunately played Michigan. So, sorry for your defense numbers. Um, they allowed 181 to Nebraska... 177 to uh, Louisiana and then 191 to Michigan. I would say on the by, you know, for the most part, Minnesota has been a very good rush defense. So it's certainly possible. I'm not saying that Georgia State will. I'm not saying that Georgia State has to hold them under 200 yards to win. But if they do hold them under 200 yards, it is certainly going to be a lot tougher for Louisiana to be moving the ball as effectively should Georgia State's pass defense get home as much as we think they can. And kind of a familiar look um, as far as like, not not this year for Georgia State, because obviously it's been the Marcus Carroll show, but Louisiana has got a stable of backs that they rely on. Um, Jacob Cabote, I I believe was a walk-on at least until recently. I don't know if he got a scholarship this year. I saw a video going around about that and I didn't see exactly when it happened. So there's almost some Tucker Gregg parallels there with the guy who has worked his way into being kind of the starter at running back for this team. And he's got 8.61 yards per carry, 73 yards a game on average. He leads them with 439 rushing yards on the 51 attempts, but they've also got... Draylon Washington, 266 rushing yards, and Zylan Perry, 100 rushing yards, not to mention Chris, who has 327 and leads the team with five rushing touchdowns. And so stamina and like staying with it is not going to be an issue for them. They've got four running backs in truth, counting the quarterback. And it kind of circles over to the other thing for me, which is somewhere the Georgia State teams under Nate Fuqua is DC, sometimes struggled that they actually usually bottled up rushing teams pretty well, especially ones that had option-y stuff going on. Like they always had an answer for it probably because Fuquay had been at Wofford and they saw it so much. 
But there was a trend in those games where they're going up against teams that rush it well, that maybe sometimes those teams had good passing days, better than they needed to, better than expected, better than their average. And certainly I think that just like Georgia State does, Louisiana is going to have some shot plays on some of these, oh, it's suck them in with the run, suck them into the run, and then hit them over the top, um, or even just hit them intermediately. And so this is, I guess, the first kind of test as far as Chad Staggs and that goes because, I mean, they haven't really played offenses on this level except for Marshall. Um, and other than that, it hasn't been any team that has been like really, really run dependent other than maybe like UConn that um, it's not very good this year. So it'll be the best offense that Georgia State's defense will have faced to this point, which happened last week when they played Marshall. Um, this is just what you're going to get into when you're in the middle of Sunbelt play, but uh, shouldn't let it go unnoticed. You know, there's a lot of positives and you're still got everything in front of you as far as the Sunbelt East, but winning this game, you'd be bowl eligible in the middle of October, which would beat the record that I now remember for sure was on that last game of October against Troy in 2019. Um, that's not the, the ultimate aim of the, this team from this game, but before continuing to dive into the game, I did want to just hit that point. That like this would be kind of a moment that like Georgia State isn't used to getting those bullbound T-shirt tweets in the middle of October like this, and they've got a chance to do it this Saturday. And they've got a chance to do it this Saturday in a way that I don't like. I I think the thing that I keep coming back to with this specific team. Um, is just the surprise of how things have gone. And, and I don't say surprises in the results, because I think if you if you came into the year and looked at what Georgia State has done so far, I think you could see that five and one coming into October 21st was always possible. But like you said, everything that they kind of want is still ahead of them up until this point. And I think it's 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 interesting to me that the results of this game doesn't lose the doesn't win them or lose them a tiebreaker that will matter in terms of conference standing. Yes, obviously, you know, three and one looks much better than two and two. I'm not going to sit here like you can do math. You know, everybody knows that. And you lose your margin for error. Correct. You absolutely do. Especially because you still have Georgia Southern on the schedule, App State on the schedule, ODU on the schedule, who are all still in because. No one's really eliminated. Even Coastal, though they have to win out, I feel like, are still in it in the East because they still only have the two conference losses. So you can't eliminate hardly anyone yet. You, you can't. And, and I think that is, that's kind of the point that I'm making, really. is It's a very, it's like a budding excitement that I don't think anybody associated with Georgia State football in terms of the Panthers has ever really felt, you know? And... It's 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 a huge game, especially because Louisiana they still have conference implications themselves. Like it's it's the same thing on the other side for them. They've only played two conference games, whereas everybody in front of them has played three. You know, but they're still at the end of the day, they're still chasing South Alabama, Texas State, and Troy. Um, Ooh, none of uh, only one of those they've played is Texas State. They've still got Troy and South Alabama on the plate. And those are games they'll they'll face South Alabama next week after Georgia State, you know, but 
it's just as important for Louisiana, you know, and like maybe this is I don't think copium is the word, but like there is a certain level of excitement that comes with this game, given the implications that we're starting to get to with all of these subsequent games for Georgia State. And I mean, like this is a tough conference. You know, I I know that they're going to say it so many times on the broadcast and everybody keeps talking about, oh, the East is such a tough division. The Sun Belt's got good football. And like, yes, it's true, obviously, but like as as we continue on this path both for Georgia State and Louisiana like each game truthfully does matter in a way even if you're not having the tiebreaker or you know if you are getting the tiebreaker that's definitely something that you want to make sure that you have regardless of east west and another weird quirk uh is that both of these teams are looking for any wins in their east west crossover games cuz Louisiana lost at Old Dominion earlier in the year, as Georgia State did against Troy. And so the loser of this will go 0-2 against the East and, rest res- East and West, respectively. And the uh, winner will get some blood back in that little cross-divisional battle. The Georgia State offense, um, I think it's the same as you're going to see basically down the stretch, where it's like every game that Darren Granger can be the better quarterback Georgia State is going to have a good chance to win. And this is another one where that's the case. And it's one of a few that it's going to be a battle because Chris as a freshman is making a lot of noise, looking like a good player. But as I look at this, even though it's on the road, because Darren has been on the road many times wearing that blue and white, I think you can expect he could be because of the experience. And part of it is that he's going to have to play well. And, you know, he has been in command of this offense in every game except the Troy game. And even then it was a couple of mistakes rather than like, you know, in the past we've talked about the Darren Granger, like disaster game, like South, South Carolina, where the percentage completion was just way low. The same with app state. It, like it was just a couple percent. <laughs> it's in the past. It's fine. But against Troy, like he still had a good, you know, if you look at the stat sheet, the only thing that stood out was those interceptions. Um, he's been in control this year. And the other part of it is defensively, you're not going to just like shut down Chris. I don't think he's a good player. He knows this offense. Now he's getting to know it better and better every game, but you got to make him look like a freshman at least once or twice. And that could be the difference in the game. And for a defense that I think has been good, like I talked about it on the post game show, I think quietly has been much better than we could have expected in year one under Chad Staggs getting back into that turnover game would go a long way to helping it look better. And the other part of that is Louisiana has the most turnovers as an offense in the Sun Belt with 14. And so I'm sure with a bye week, they preached, preached, preached ball control and worked on it. And they're going to have some things to sort of that out, but fumbles have been an issue for them. And so if Georgia state's able to, whether it's Chris or whether it's one of the running backs or whomever, if they're able to make a mistake happen, that could be the difference in this game, which just feels destined to be one possession late going into the fourth quarter and beyond. It's weird because, you know, we talk about, we've talked about this defense and I agree with you. I think Georgia state's defense does look better than kind of the numbers bear out. Um, and the numbers still look good. Like I, yeah, want I was going to say, say the, the only number that you don't love is the passing yards, but that hasn't mattered yet. They're, they're not letting teams score. And so it, it is working out. And you don't think that's going to matter this week. Like if it is the case where you're beaten by Louisiana passing, like I said earlier, 
it'd be a little bit annoying and frustrating to let a team kind of beat you with their second best thing. But you don't expect it, really. You'd have to kind of see that how it would play out. Right. So your, you know, your weakness might not matter as much for this particular matchup. It, it might not. And I think the, you know, what I wanted to say is to your turnover point, because I have felt like Georgia State the last few weeks have not been, you know, they have not been as good at gaining turnovers the last couple of weeks. They've only got two in their last three weeks, which isn't it's not bad, but it wasn't like it was early on in the year where you felt like they were making absolute impact plays. And I think I think that might matter. I'm not saying that they have been bad because they've still gained, you know, what, nine, uh, nine turnovers this year. And I, I blocking a punt is not technically a turnover, um, but I mean, it effectively works like one. You'd take um, another one of those. Exactly. You know, especially if you return it for a touchdown, like to me, functionally, there's no difference between return it, like picking up a fumble and forcing a fumble and returning that for a touchdown and, you know, blocking a punt for a touchdown. Um, but I will say, like you said about Darren in the Troy game, that was the only game that Georgia State really has taken, like, done poorly with the ball. Um, they did, obviously, Darren had the two picks. You know, there was another fumble at another point in the game. Turnovers have just not really been a problem for Georgia State in terms of giving it up on offense. And I mean, this is another team where you like I know I said it before, Troy, and it didn't really bear out. But you really just have to win that turnover battle because it's going to be so important. The extra possession, especially because you're facing a team that runs the ball well. Um, I don't have this exact stat in front of me, but I'm sure given how much Louisiana runs the ball, they are probably up there in time of possession in the conference. And that hasn't really mattered for Georgia State this year. Like, I think it has in years past um but they are actually a spot below georgia state in the time of possession georgia state is at ninth louisiana is at 10th like about a second apart hair over 28 and a half minutes per game for each of them though georgia state was at 35 against marshall and that was kind of a factor in that game especially in the fourth quarter that actually surprises me. So thank you for fact checking me on that. But, you know, it's the same thing with Georgia State. Like, I think people would expect them to be a time of possession team. And they're just they're usually not. <laughs> That's true. That is true, because Georgia State, while they run well, um, they're not at 200. I think they're at 185 rushing yards a game. It, a lot of what gets them those yards in the second half specifically is the tempo. You know, when you have 30 minutes to you know 40 minutes of playing against Georgia State, and you've been really physical with them because they've just run, you know, about 20, 25 times against you. That's when they're just like, okay, we're not going to let you substitute. We've got the look and, you know, we're just going to kill you on the ground. Um, but I, I will say that I feel like the point kind of still stands for Louisiana. They really probably are either going to be super up tempo and it's just going to be on Georgia State to continue to, you know, force a turnover to get off the field defensively, you know, prevent Louisiana from converting a third down, um, which Georgia State has been a lot better at the last couple of weeks, preventing third down conversions. Um, or they're just going to have to get a turnover because Louisiana is going to want to be super fast or control the time of possession. It's just, you know, kind of how teams who run the ball by the nature of running the ball, you're either getting blitzed or they're being really slow and methodical. And, you know, you definitely want to avoid keeping your defense on the field for 35 minutes a game. Yeah, we don't do many guarantees on this podcast just because there's so much that's in flux. I will guarantee 
with Georgia State averaging 28 minutes, 34 seconds of possession and Louisiana, 28, 33 seconds, someone will go over their time of possession for the season because it will not be possible for both of them to lose it this game. Unless the rules of football change and there's a third team that's allowed on the field that's just got a really heck of a run game to kill the clock. Someone is going to make the time of possession matter. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you mentioned the tempo and have a piece that's running on Panther Talk today. Jerry from Rage and Review podcast that covers Louisiana answered a few questions about me and answered a couple of questions for me. And one of the things that he had mentioned in one of them about the defense and strengths and weaknesses, he had mentioned tackling in the open field is a, a positive, which is something you got to adjust to, especially if you're trying to run some of these plays with like Tyleek out in the open space. I mean, I talked about it, how much of a weapon he can be. If they've got guys that can tackle in the open field, that would be a way to combat that. But he mentioned specifically in the ODU loss that their tempo had caused some issues. And the defense has played a lot better. They cleaned up some explosiveness in the pass game since that week. But when I saw that, it did kind of make my eyes perk up a little bit because it's like if tempo is something that can be a strength for a team coming in, we know Georgia State wants to do it anyway. And so it'll be interesting to see if that can have an impact. The other thing on it, and it's kind of where I leave it, the, the reverse of what we were talking about with, okay, Louisiana's 224 rushing yards a game, hold them under 200 maybe. Against Buffalo, Louisiana gave up as a rush defense 178 yards, 4.05 yards per carry. Against Minnesota, 201 yards, 3.94. Against Texas State, 204, 4.34. All of those, I believe, were under the season average for the teams. Texas State maybe was a hair. Either way, I forget. But they were still able to get some yardage. They stuck to it, and two of them got over 200 yards. Good number to get to in the run game. Probably means you're staying on the field a good bit. So I think it's the same way where they have had some success stopping teams. I think this will be one of, if not the best, rushing attack that they will have faced as well. So I don't know that your goal is necessarily to run it for 350 on this team. You save that for another week maybe. But it's the other thing where if you're able to edge above your average for the year and keep them more in check, with what we're just talking about, the time of possession, that feels like it'll most bear it out. Like whoever has those extra couple of possessions, it might flip the 20 to 40 yard difference in rushing yards. And that might determine the game with who's got those possessions and who's can make them count. Yeah, certainly important. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call my shot this week with the special team score um, or the special teams impact play, but you know, it was good last week. Keep doing that and you're fine. And Mr. Rickman doing his thing as well. I mean, I don't know. This feels like the type of game that, that after it, Coach Elliott's going to be like, touchdowns are what you need to win a game like that, not field goals. And so I feel like if there was any week, despite all the positives we have said and he has said about Liam Rickman as just a reliable field goal kicker, this is the week that wouldn't surprise me if you're seeing like a, a really aggressive fourth down decision in plus territory when they could take three points with the idea being you've got to get in the end zone in this game going on the road. And I wouldn't disagree with that either. I feel like this is the type of game that if you're losing it 35, 31, settling for that one field goal on a fourth down might be something you look back at after the fact and go, that was an opportunity to go the other way. And we just kind of played it safe there and might be a game. We got to roll the dice a bit. 
And the other part about this is this is not the first time we've said this because Louisiana and Georgia Southern were both games on a Thursday, Saturday turnaround two years ago. It was the Thursday game was in Louisiana that time, but uh, Sunbelt schedulers doing you no favors. You know, in an ideal world, you look at it and go one in one split, you feel pretty good. And I think that's probably the case. Um, I know which way, which game Georgia State fans would not want to lose. And so I guess if you're trying to play those odds, you know which game to really root for. But given where everything stands with the division race, you really can't look at it that way. You kind of have to go. But you got to find a way to win two games in five days. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, is Marcus Carroll getting a little bit less run now that we saw Freddie Brock is looks pretty good. Looks like he can spell him because we know there's another road game five days after this one. I don't know. But reality is the schedule is what your schedule is. And Georgia State's going to have to find a way to win two in five to kind of keep where they're at right now, which is controlling their destiny in the Sunbelt East, which like the bowl eligibility in October thing is still a new reality for Georgia State fans to adjust to, I think. To that point, too, um, it's really I and I, I think the the difference for me this year and last year, and I hope this continues health, man. I, I really think the midweek games are not bad. It's just last year, Georgia State got caught twice um, with terrible health heading into them. And so, obviously, you know, we can talk about the importance of the implications of, you know, Louisiana and Southern. You know, we'll wait till after Louisiana, obviously, outside of this one. But just going into next, getting two wins in five days. Yeah, that's pretty significant for because it's conference games. But, man, I just really hope that they can leave Louisiana with a clean bill of health because that is just so, so important headed down the stretch here. Yeah, I mean, when you're on that Thursday game after, kind of like with that Coastal win earlier this year, it's kind of about guts to a good degree. You're not really going to get that much of time to prep for the team you're facing. Uh, Georgia Southern's also going to be playing on Saturday, though they will play on Saturday afternoon, so they are in the same boat. It's not like you're coming in facing a team who's got to buy, but at this point, it is what it is. You got to roll with it, and it starts with heading down to Lafayette and seeing what you're able to do Saturday night on ESPNU, which... We talked about it last time, but another national TV game, you know, <laughs> starts to feel normal the more times it happens, but it has not been a normal thing for Georgia State at the rate that they've been having them in 2023. Okay, to that, uh, to you saying that is funny because earlier today I was looking at the rest of the schedule um, because I was just looking to see if it was confirmed or not that they had any other national TV games because I had been so used to it. So, yeah, it certainly does. has It has started to and feel the, normal. The answer is there could be more. There very well could be a couple more in there. Certainly could. So, you know, we'll see and keep following them, you know, as we have been. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our Fun Belt Roundup for the week. And it was a smaller slate of games, but that does not mean they weren't interesting. And boy, do we have some fun stuff to talk about. So last Saturday, James Madison 41, Georgia Southern 13, as the Eagles head up to Harrisonburg to face the Dukes. Uh, Troy headed up to West Point to face Army and walked out 19-0 victors. Texas State hosted ULM and beat the Warhawks by one point, 21-20. And on Tuesday night, an absolute bloodletting. South Alabama 55, Southern Miss 3. So, gentlemen, lots to discuss about this week's games. What's on your mind? 
So, yeah, probably need to upgrade the level of worry about Southern Miss. Um, not even just because of the score, but some of those touchdowns, let's just say the effort was less than 100% for some of those defenders. Brady, it was bad. Like, like don't get me wrong. Midweek Fun Belt is some of my favorite college football. And I don't expect normal games ever. I I turned that game on as I was like making dinner and I, you know, I, from my kitchen, I can see like my TV in the living room and I would just like stop what I was doing to just stare at the screen in awe. Like it didn't it like South Alabama looked like they were playing a JV team. I'm sorry. And that is not me criticizing Southern Miss to the point where I think in totality they are a high school level football team. It is just the difference in those two teams made it look like South Alabama was running a scrimmage. Like it was it was bad yeah nothing you can sugarcoat that with except the game's over and the other part of it is is the second straight week that south alabama has scored exactly 55 so you're you've got some company um, and you still play that ulm team that they did that too so there's a chance for a win although i guess the line should be set at minus four ulm because they got seven instead of three the other part of it is south alabama may be playing as good as they're supposed to be in the preseason. They hit some inconsistent stretches there, and there was kind of like a, when's the real South Alabama going to show up? Or is it going to be you beat up on Oak State and then lose Central Michigan all year? They finally put some stuff together, and not a moment too soon, because they're about to play Louisiana and Troy for what is going to decide their chances in the Sunbelt West for the rest of the year. The Sunbelt West has been very fun. Um, but it's slightly odd because I feel like you could say the same thing about Troy, you know, in the beginning of the season, Troy, they might not have had the same level of, oh, this is a disappointing team now thought, but early on in the year, Troy definitely didn't look like they were back back like they were like the 2022 team. And then it's been like 10 quarters since Troy has given up a touchdown. Like they went up to army and they shut him out and you know, it wasn't the most beautiful offensive performance, but anytime you like, I, I think I saw a stat over the weekend that said army hasn't been shut out at home since like the eighties or like the seventies or something like that. So yeah, like that's, that's a pretty, pretty good day at the office when you can make something like that happen. Yeah, and I guess before we go too deep into the schadenfreude section of this breakdown, you have to temper a little bit of the JMU stuff when they're still on your schedule. You can't be like, look who lost them by 28, uh, because they still come to Atlanta, and they're a good team. The one note that I have on this game, as an objective, you know, we try to be as objective as we can on this podcast. Georgia Southern has played some good offenses, and every time they've played good offenses, that team has put up points. And given that we think Georgia State has a pretty good offense, I think that's just that's notable as that game is very not far away. I mean, I'm not even I don't want to put salt in the wounds of Eagles fans at all. Truthfully, um, the one thing I will say is while the offensive numbers look great for Davis Brin. You know, the yards look great. The completion percentage, very solid. The touchdowns. Brother has thrown nine interceptions in six games. And he had another well, three this past thrown, weekend. He has thrown nine in two games. Every That's other he, game has been fine, but the Wisconsin and the JMU one. Right. You know, when, when he has seen defenses that can, you know, cause some trouble, he has gotten interception happy. And I'm not saying, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, 
anything that I think about the Georgia State James Madison game because truthfully at this point I don't know there's too much for Georgia State to figure out before then anyways do you really see Darren Granger throwing three interceptions in that game not today I don't so I'm that's not going to say. say anything because the last time I talked about Darren and specific number of interceptions he threw that number in the Troy game so I got to be careful about what my powers may be um, but the thing with JMU is it's kind of a similar thing with Georgia state where you look at their offense and it's just like the stuff they run is smart and puts defenses in bad positions. And, you know, Jordan McLeod isn't necessarily flashy. He doesn't have the best numbers. He might not be the best quarterback in the Sun Belt, but they found the guy that can run that stuff. And I think they've got underrated pass catcher. Like I do not think everyone in the Sun Belt collectively talks enough about likes of uh, Reggie Brown and Surratt. And even the guys out of the backfield and like the tight ends, like it just, they've got a really good group that I feel like with James Madison, everyone gets caught up in just like the program and who they are. And maybe doesn't spend enough time talking about the actual dudes on the team because they definitely impressed me. You you watch a game like that and you can be nothing but impressed by what they were able to do in what was supposed to be reasonably close. You know, the the line I think was like minus six. So it wasn't like a, a coin flip, but Everyone expected it to be competitive. I think people had Southern as a potential upset team there. And the Dukes continue to do what they've done since they've made the jump to FBS and said, nah, we're good. We're just going to win if that's cool with y'all. And it wasn't really close. I mean, pretty early. I mean, on here's James Matt. Here's the first three drives for both teams. Touchdown, James Madison. Southern punt after 11 plays. Touchdown, James Madison. Southern punt after nine plays. James Madison field goal, it's 17-0, Georgia Southern field goal. Georgia, uh, James Madison right after that hit another field goal. You know, like it's it's not a matter of, okay, it was kind of close early and Southern was in the game. No, I mean, James Madison really just punched them in the face and went from there. So I will admit to not watching all 60 minutes of this game. I watched a good bit in the third quarter and then moved on to other things. But at the point I had been watching, James Madison had not had a drive end in their own territory. And so that kind of tells you where it was at. I don't know if that held true the entire game because they did kind of call off the dogs a little bit. But I, uh, that tells you a lot of how a game went if you're just ending every single drive in your opponent's territory. Because you're either getting a touchdown, probably getting a field goal, and maybe punting from plus territory. But it, that is the less likely outcome just given... There's only about 15 yards of real estate you have to end in for that to be your call. I also wanted to, like, I have two hearts on this ULM Texas State thing because on the one hand, I'm like, good God, Texas State, good job not blowing this one at home when you were 16-point favorites. But I feel really bad for ULM losing two of these games in conference play by a single point, games that they very easily could and should have walked away with and I think the thing with the Warhawks is it's like they play Georgia Southern this Saturday. For all we know, they could go in there and play a really one possession game, and maybe win by a point this time. If that doesn't happen, they're probably getting dumped. Like there really doesn't seem to be much middle ground. They've got these games where they really show up for it and they're in it like this past Saturday and when they played App State at home. And there's the other games like against South Alabama when they went to Texas A&M where it just wasn't close. And so... I guess week to week, you have to you know, prepare for whichever ULM you're going to get, one of which is going to make you sweat it out all the way for all 60 minutes, 
Just ask App State and Texas State fans. Yeah, I mean, that App State game for ULM uh, a few weeks back was really tough. Um, you know, up two points, in, like deep into the fourth quarter, not super late, but, you know, turnover on downs at the one, just couldn't punch it in, pulled App the next drive, you know, got the ball back and still couldn't really do anything. And then App hits the game-winning field goal. Obviously, you know, this week against Texas State, it wasn't as heartbreaking, but, you know, it still was relatively heartbreaking because ULM looked really good in this game for most of the game. You know, it, it definitely was a back and forth affair. Um, but, you know, into the fourth quarter, it, it was a 20 to nine game, which, yeah, that's only 11 points, but it's still a two score game. It was a pick six to make it 29, like halfway through the quarter on what is like one of those textbook, like backbreaking plays, the home team, like you're about to take the lead. It totally flips. But credit to TJ Finley and company for coming back, getting two scores in the final minutes. I guess if there was one team you don't want to have to rely on holding a double-digit lead against in the Sun Mode, it might be Texas State just because of how quick they move, how much they can score. So I guess in that respect, it, it shouldn't be that surprising that if anyone was going to do it in that context, it would be the Bobcats. But still, just it was right there for them. Just a brutal, brutal loss. Two weeks after a different brutal, brutal one-point loss. Certainly. And hey, I'm a, I will say one thing. Texas State is off this week. Their schedule moving forward, they should pretty, pretty easily remain in this race for the, the West. They play Troy next. They host Troy. I don't know that I see the upset necessarily, um, but the rest of the schedule looks good for them to at least. Be okay, so in Troy the race. is the upset. Yes. Beating Troy would be the upset. Yes. I, I they see might need that one for tie-breaking purposes, but I do take your point. That'll be a really interesting stylistic clash. But that's next week. That's that's not even this week. That's next week. Yeah, we'll you know we'll get that one when we get that one. I hope it's not midweek, but that would that, that has the feel of a midweek game to me. I don't know. Has the feel of a banger. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the second half of today's episode. Talk about some basketball. First up, Sunbelt preseason accolades are out. Georgia State was picked 11th out of 14 in the preseason poll, and guards Dewan Odom and Brendan Tucker were named to the all-Sunbelt preseason second team and third team, respectively. Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, and ULM were the only schools picked behind the Panthers, while at the top it was the Dukes of James Madison selected to win the conference, followed by App State, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Sunbelt polls? So as footballists told us, we really don't have to put much time or thought or anything into the preseason poll because if Georgia State was picked second to last in the East, it does not appear they will be heading anywhere near that spot in the standings. And there is just so much unknown to the point where this men's basketball poll specifically, I feel like is going to be all over the place when we look back at it. Because not just Georgia State, but you know, you got other teams with the new coaches they're bringing in a lot of new players and so i feel like they leaned into the teams they knew a lot about where james madison with terrence edwards jr might have like the best scorer in the conference coming back and you know southern miss brought back some guys app brought back some guys most of i think the guys they're going to lean on so those are the people that end up near the top you had a lot of other teams with questions they didn't get so well um but doesn't really say anything about how the game's going to go. As far as being 11th, I'll just lean on what Jonas Hayes had himself. You know, he talked about when I spoke to him at practice, 
back in September, like they had the 10 and 21 shirts made that they wore through the off season. And what he said was, I think that meaning the record is who we are until we are not that any longer. And so, yeah, like the onus is going to be on Georgia state to win games and put that together rather than expecting teams to start anointing you back because you're Georgia state, you got to go back to proving it. Yeah. I mean, that is an incredibly accurate description in response to being picked 11th, you know, what has Georgia state done to deserve to be picked 11th like that? You know, and I think when you come into a season in basketball, football, yes, a lot of, you know, a lot of people give the benefit of the doubt in certain situations, which is fine. I, you know, I don't say that is a bad thing. Georgia state won three conference games last year. They won 10 games overall. Like that there's, there's nothing that the Panthers did last year. Um, that would suggest that they are deserving to be higher than they were picked. And, you know, I'm not I'm not even saying the following is like, oh, they should have been picked last. And, you know, giving them bulletin board material or anything It's just I could if they were picked last, I would have I would understand that as well. Like that was not a good basketball team. It really wasn't. And, you know, I think we both expect them to be different. We, We expect them to be different this year both in terms of playing better and the results. You know, I don't know. I don't know what this team's ceiling is as I sit here today in October, but I still think that they're going to be a better basketball team than they were last year. Um, So if they end up finishing 11th, that would probably surprise me. Um, But it's a preseason poll and it's just a group of coaches opinions. You know, it's fine. This actually does kind of just transition into the second thing we're going to do, because we can just put the Sunbelt stuff aside there. That's fine. Um, The new backcourt, which is going to be part two of the roster preview we're going to do last week. We did all the returning players this week. We got the backcourt guys. Next week, we will touch on the frontcourt guys. And there's a group of them from all the different ranks. It's the biggest preview we're going to have as far as number of guys. From the portal, you got Ricky Bradley Jr. from VMI, Tanari Lane from Winthrop, and from Wake Forest, Lucas Taylor. From the JUCO ranks, the only guy they added, what you could call the old transfer portal, Julian Mackey from Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. And then the last guy is the newest guard addition from the high school ranks, freshman Malik Ferguson. And I guess the thing that I did laugh at with the preseason thing, I guess we aren't done with it after all. Uh, They picked them 11th, but had Dewan and Brendan getting honors. And so it made me kind of go like, how bad did they think the rest of the team is? If that's what they think of Dewan and Brendan. But part of my reason I think they're going to be better is not because of Dewan and Brendan, but because of these guys specifically, because going with the the, Malik Ferguson, I think is maybe more of a energy guy defense as he starts. Coach uh, Jonas called him tough as old barn nails. Uh, which I think is the type of guy you want to add as a freshman and have grow in your program. But if you look at the other guys, not only because they're the ones who I could find three-point statistics on, Julian Mackey shot 42.8% from three at his Juco spot last year. Tanari Lane at Winthrop was 30, 38.1%. Ricky Bradley at VMI, 39%. And it was just eight of 20, but Lucas Taylor at Wake was 40%. And so when I look at what this team needed to improve on and what these guys are adding, there's differing sample sizes going on there. But like the biggest takeaway is you added so much shooting that when you had that as your weakness, 
it's clear that Jonas and his staff went over and above trying to fix that. And you see that with just all the guys they brought in, just in, in the backcourt. I think nothing else could improve on the Panthers. And if those guys simply repeated what they did last year, that adds so much depth and texture to the way that the offense for Georgia State plays, number one, and just how successful they are. I mean, you could very clearly see a lot of what they wanted to do with the guards last year was only effective on the on the games that they actually were hitting their threes and defenses really had to honor it. And also being able to hit your threes keeps you in a lot. Like I think there were a lot of stretches last year where the offense wasn't able to stay consistent and keep pace with other teams because they would go in the droughts. And a big part of, you know, busting out of droughts is being able to create different shots and make different shots off that creation. So, you know, better three point players as well as improvements from, you know, the other members of the backcourt that we've already talked about, you know, in, in these previews that right there really can give Georgia state a huge boost and get them to a more respectable record, the independent of what the bigs do. And, you know, again, not to give short shrift to Ferguson, it's really hard to gauge with freshmen when they're going to jump in. I think it's harder when you look at a guy like Ferguson, because of all the people we just talked about, not to mention, Dewan, Brendan, and Jermaine. Like, it feels like there's just not going to be that many minutes available. And it's going to be a case of like, he's going to have to come in and really, really take it. But that's only like, if we're talking about that happening, then that means he's pretty good. And that's something you should be excited about as a freshman, leaping all over these upperclassmen, uh, looking forward and, and adding a different dimension to the team already. Uh, the other things that I mentioned, um, Bradley Jr., in addition to being a good three-point shooter in his first year at VMI, probably is going to get the other point guard minutes other than Dewan. And feeling like you've got a, a solid set-in backup point guard, especially one that can shoot, totally positive. Speaking to the thing I said about Dewan last week, if he's getting in there for you know 15 minutes a game, whatever it might be, and Dewan's able to sit some, Maybe you have them both out there for certain times, certain stretches of the game. It's only a positive. And kind of the last thing I'll leave with is not my words, but somebody else's words where former Georgia State great Demarcus Simons quote tweeted my thing about uh, where Georgia State had ended up in the Sunbelt places and uh, who got on what teams. And he said, Julian Mackey first team. So someone who knows a lot more basketball than me has high expectations for Mackey coming in from JUCO. When DeMarcus talks like that, I listen. I do. Like I, I feel like over the years, he he might not always be right, right? But when he says pay attention to somebody, he usually is talking about somebody who can be very helpful. Like like I will say, I maybe this was when we had the pod or not, but I was pretty critical of Kane when it seemed like the, the offense was giving him the keys. And like, I will be the first to admit that I was wrong. Like there were definitely a few years where just like Kane was the whole reason the offense was able to be as effective as it was. So if DeMarcus is saying pay attention to Mackey, I'm paying attention. You have my attention. It, li- it lines up with our friend Ben Moore was at a practice before the game on Saturday against Marshall. And he also said Mackey looked really good. He also said to Lane was hitting some shots. And so I don't think we know what it's going to look like yet. And I, I don't know if the Jonas and the staff know what it's going to look like. I mean, that's a lot of players 
you know, the, the guy who we haven't talked about as much as the rest now is Lucas Taylor, who was the guy who had the best spot. He was at Wake Forest under Steve Forbes, who I trust when he's recruiting offensive players. And so, like, it's a really a wealth of riches. And I don't know how it's going to shake out. Probably someone unexpectedly is going to be playing less than they'd hoped for. And I don't know if it'll be kind of a, as it goes through the year, you see some switching around the rotations as guys are kind of battling back and forth, but it's definitely a better place to be in with all that you have and figuring it out with the pieces that you've got, as opposed to last year where it felt like they really had to pare down just the rotations, and everything, just because you felt like your only chance of winning some of these games was by playing as few guys as possible, because unless your guys are just that level above everyone else, it, you're not going to win down the stretch in seasons if you're really short on rotations just because those trips can weigh down on you once you get into January, February, and then into March. All right. And that's all the time we have for today's episode. But before we get you out of here, I did want to talk about everything that's happening in Georgia State Athletics this week. Starting today, as of the release of this podcast, 7 p.m. Women's Soccer hosting James Madison at the GSU Soccer Complex. You can view that match in person or on ESPN+. Moving on to Friday, Men's Golf heads to Paradise Island, Bahamas for the White Sands Bahamas Invitational. That is a multi-day event running through Sunday. And then at 6 p.m., Volleyball hosts Georgia Southern in the sports arena. You can also catch that match on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday, Softball hosting the Blue and White Scrimmage in Atlanta at noon. Volleyball hosts Georgia Southern for another game at 1. You can watch that one on ESPN+, as well. And then Football travels to Lafayette, Louisiana, to face the Raging Cajuns at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU, or you can listen live on WRASFM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. Moving on to Sunday, we've got women's golf heading to Little Rock, Arkansas for the Little Rock Women's Golf Classic. That is a multi-day event going through Tuesday. Women's soccer heads to Norfolk, Virginia to face Old Dominion at 12.30 p.m. That match will be on ESPN+. Plus. And men's soccer hosting James Madison at the GSU Soccer Complex at 4. That match also on ESPN+. Moving on to Monday, women's golf continue in Little Rock while men's golf head just up the road to Kennesaw for the Pine Tree Intercollegiate hosted by Kennesaw State. And that is a multi-day event happening Monday and Tuesday. And that is it for this upcoming week in Georgia State Athletics. Plenty of opportunities to get involved, see the Panthers in action. And we'll look forward to recapping all of the stuff with Georgia State football in the postgame show this weekend. Uh, last weekend's edition is also available if you missed that, where we recapped the game against Marshall. But outside of that, that's all we've got. Have a fantastic week, and go Panthers!